Ever thought about owning a piece of history? Introducing the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition silver coin celebrates the historic Republican victory in 1994, marking a turning point in American politics. Give a gift with real historical weight this season. Order now at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World, I'm going to discuss the three great challenges that will define America's future. I decided that it was really important to understand historically where we're at as a country and the challenges we have to meet if we're going to be successful. I frankly got to that by thinking about the last period, starting with Reagan, And let me just say, I think these three great challenges are pretty straightforward, and they each relate to each other. The first one is to focus on the values and goals of the American people, to really meet what Lincoln meant when he said, government of the people, by the people, and for the people, and to understand Lincoln's proposition that with popular sentiment, anything is possible. Without popular sentiment, nothing is possible. Lincoln understood this. Franklin Delano Roosevelt understood it. Reagan understood it. And if you go back to the founding fathers, it's very significant that when they wrote the Constitution, they thought that it had to be adopted in the states, that there had to be public debate. And the greatest political pamphlet of all time, the Federalist Papers, were in fact written to influence public opinion and to convince people. And Margaret Thatcher's term, first you win the argument, then you win the vote. And the Federalist Papers was a deliberate, overt effort to win the argument. So America was founded on this notion that the people matter, the people's voice matters, and the people's beliefs matter. Second, we really need solutions that are as large as our problems. One of our difficulties has been that even when conservatives have won control, we haven't been prepared to have the kind of scale of change and to embed that change in the beliefs and the values of the American people so that we have a great deal of popular support for that. And so you have to have both understanding of what the American people believe in and solutions that they can support that are as large as the problems we're trying to solve. And then third, you have to communicate with and reach the American people despite the almost certain opposition of the media. 
And this has been true historically over and over again. That's why you end up, for example, with the Federalist Papers, which were very widely distributed by the Founding Fathers to get the adoption of the Constitution. It's why Lincoln would consistently reach out, often writing letters to the editor as president, because newspapers in his time were the key thing. It's why Franklin Delano Roosevelt developed radio fireside chats to reach directly to the American people, past the news media. It's why Trump, for example, was so capable of using social media, and why in his day Reagan, who had been, after all, a professional actor in movies, a professional actor on television, a communicator of enormous capacity, and he used that ability to reach to the American people in a series of speeches that reshaped American history and moved people. It's important to notice these three are interactive. That is, you have to have the support of the American people, you have to have big solutions, and you have to be able to communicate them so the American people understand them despite the hostility of the news media. All three have to work together in a synergistic system. I'm going to go into each challenge in some detail, but first, let me explain how this concept was developed in my mind and why I decided to do this particular podcast. I was working with Joe Gaylord on a new book, which is coming out in June, March to the Majority. And we really went back. Joe and I had both gotten active in politics in the late 60s and early 70s, and we ended up working together. And remember that when we finally won control in 1994, the House Republicans had been in the minority for 40 years. And I have to tell you, as we were putting together what we had done to try to win, it was kind of exhausting. Remember that, first of all, I had to run three times. I lost in 1974 in the middle of Watergate. Then I came back and I lost in 1976 with Jimmy Carter, a Georgia Democrat at the head of the Democratic ticket. I got 48.5% the first time, 48.3% the second time. Finally, in 1978, I won a congressional seat. I arrived in Washington to a defeated Republican Party, which had been shattered both by the Watergate disaster, which took Nixon's enormous 60% victory against McGovern and ended up with Nixon resigning two years later. Then it was further decimated by the Ford-Reagan primary fight, which went all the way to the convention. And so the party that I joined in 1978 was really exhausted, and its leadership was exhausted. They'd seen their friends get defeated. They had a sense of almost hopelessness. And I said, you know, why don't we create a working group to plan for a majority? We've been a minority at that point 24 years. Well, I was asked by Congressman Guy Vanderjack, the chairman of the Congressional Campaign Committee, to chair before I was even sworn in. In December of 78, he said, why don't you chair a committee and do it? It's a great idea. Now, I want to report, we failed. In 1980, 82, 84, 86, 88, 90, and 92. So by the time we finally won, we'd put 16 years into trying to figure out how to become a majority. And in that process, as Joe and I were going back and putting together March to the Majority as a book, we got a little bit exhausted because we were reporting failure after failure. We were reminding ourselves how hard we worked. It wasn't like we were rope-a-doping. We were trying with all of our effort, with everything we had, to win every two years. We just weren't succeeding. And yet, at the same time, going back and looking at that period, 78 to 86 or so, we were reminded of the extraordinary achievements of President Ronald Reagan, Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, and Pope John Paul II. And I'd had the great opportunity to work with Bill Brock as the Republican national chairman to bring the Thatcher team 
when she won in 79, we brought her team over to brief our folks on what she had done right and how she had won. The three of them, Reagan, Thatcher, and Pope John Paul II, worked as a team to defeat communism and to expand freedom, and they were a remarkably successful team. I also have to point out that as we went back and went through it all, the first Capital Steps event was not the 1994 contract with America. In fact, the first Capital Steps event was 1980 with Ronald Reagan. The first contract was not 1994. The first contract was with Reagan in 1980. Because Reagan had the courage, something no Republican candidate had done in modern times, he had had the courage to actually bring together the party to brand himself as a Republican. And the result was that his coattails were enormous. When he won the largest electoral vote majority against an incumbent president in American history, the fact is we picked up 12 Senate seats. Now, nobody thought we were going to pick up 12 Senate seats. We hadn't been a majority in the Senate since 1954. and The result was that all of a sudden, Howard Baker went from being minority leader to majority leader. He jumped from 41 senators to 53 senators. In the House, the coattails were enormous. We picked up 35 seats in 1980. But the problem was that the Republicans in the House had collapsed so deeply. There were only 157 House Republicans when 1980 started. So even when they picked up 35 seats, they ended up because one person turned out to be an independent, they ended up at 191 Republicans and were still a minority. But they were a big enough minority that you could combine them with traditional conservatives, mostly in the South. And so conservative Democrats plus the expanded Republican minority were able to pass Reagan's tax cuts and pass Reagan's program. Now, Reagan actually meant his campaign. And this is a very important difference between all too many politicians and the folks who were changing history. Reagan campaigned on what he actually wanted to do. He promised a three-year tax cut because he believed that tax cuts would work. He promised deregulation because he believed that deregulation would work. He promised rebuilding Americans' social belief in themselves so that Americans' civic pride would be bigger because he believed civic pride was important. He promised welfare reform because, as he put it, the best social program is a job. And he achieved extraordinary changes. Now, the result was that Reagan had three historic goals. I think people don't realize how really successful Reagan was. He had three great historic goals. First, to restore the American economy. It collapsed under Jimmy Carter. We had terrible inflation. We had terrible job loss. We had the worst of all worlds, a deep recession with high inflation. Reagan restored the American economy through tax cuts, through reform of the regulatory process, and just by being in favor of entrepreneurs, by making people feel good about themselves, by making you feel like it was your patriotic duty to go out and create jobs. And it worked. And the Reagan boom actually lasted, I think, up until 2007 and 2008. Second, he set out to defeat the Soviet empire. Now, people thought that was Looney Tunes. They thought it was impossible. In fact, when Reagan wanted to say in Berlin, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Every senior advisor told him not to say it. The CIA said the Soviet Union would last 30 or 40 more years. Reagan would look silly. And he just ignored them. He said, this is what I want to do. I'm the president. I'm going to do it. And of course, he said that. And within a couple of years, the Soviet Union literally disappeared in December of 1991. He also wanted to rebuild American civic pride. It was no accident that Lee Greenwood's God Bless the USA came out in 1984 
became a very, very popular song and sort of captured the spirit of Reaganism. And yet Reagan in his farewell address, which I recommend to everyone to read, says in January of 1989, you know, the one thing I regret is we were not able to turn around American history teaching and our young people are not being taught to be patriots. And it is a really dangerous thing. And he called on parents to teach their children. He didn't adopt the scale of change that was needed to take on the left as it took over our universities and our colleges and our schools. But he did recognize it was an enormous problem. And candidly, we failed to respond to that farewell address. And today we are paying for not having heeded Reagan's warning as the schools have become more and more left-wing, more and more anti-American, more and more engaged in teaching anti-white racism, more and more in teaching that seven-year-olds ought to decide what gender they belong to. I mean, the degree to which we have lost the schools, both in effectiveness, when you have, for example, 23 schools in Baltimore City in which not a single student, not one out of over 2,000, can do mathematics. When you have children being taught things that are absurdly wrong, factually false, and being taught a set of beliefs that are crazy. So Reagan, in that sense, left us, and we didn't pick up the gauntlet that Reagan gave us. Throughout history, there are clear moments that define our nation's path, and now you can own a piece of that history. I'm thrilled to announce the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition, one-ounce silver coin commemorates the historic victory in 1994 when the Republican Party, under my leadership, took control of Congress. The Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin also symbolizes the transformative political platform that led to landmark achievements like the overhaul of the welfare system and the Balanced Budget Act. This holiday season, give the gift of history. The Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin is more than an investment. It's a tribute to honest government and to America. Available to order right now by calling 866-484-4043. That's 866-484-4043. Or order online at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. How could the most powerful man in media just vanish from public life? My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'm a reporter who's covered politics for years. And in this podcast, I'm going to travel far and wide searching for the reclusive Matt Drudge, the founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who've worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. I'll also be chasing down tips from you, the listener, through a special hotline. So if you know where Drudge is right now or have a great Drudge story that might help us better understand the mysterious media mogul, please give us a call at 301-200-2414. 
Hopefully by the time this show ends, the man who knows Drudge best, Matt Drudge himself, will break his silence and sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But interestingly, as we went back through doing March the Majority, we realized how much Reagan, who was rallying America against the left, had Margaret Thatcher as an ally, and she was even more decisive. There's a remarkable small book by Clara Berlinski called There Is No Alternative, Why Margaret Thatcher Matters. And she matters because she understood how immoral socialism was, how destructive socialism was, and she understood the key concept that first you win the argument, then you win the vote. And she set out methodically to destroy the left as a moral force. Even more than Reagan, Thatcher was a programmatic conservative. There's a great scene where she's at her first great leadership meeting once she had become the first female leader of a British party. And she's there and she's at the podium and she says, people ask me what our platform is. And she pulls out of her purse, which must have been a huge purse, Hayek's The Constitution of Liberty, which is a really big book. And she slams it on the mantle and she says, this is our platform. We are for freedom. And she meant it. And Britain was in much worse shape than the U.S. Thatcher had a much bigger and deeper programmatic impact. And had Britain continued down the road that Thatcher had, lower spending, lower government, less regulation, tax cuts to encourage entrepreneurship, a work ethic that was at the core of Thatcherism as it was at the core of Reaganism. Had they continued there, Britain today would have been a much, much better system. People would be much more profitable and their lives would be much better. However, in both America and in Britain, once the great heroic leaders left, the forces of the old order began to come back and began to push in a direction that began literally in both cases as soon as their successor showed up. John Majors did not understand Thatcherism, and he promptly began moving the Conservative Party away from the kind of vigorous entrepreneurial pro-growth model that Thatcher believed in. Similarly, George H.W. Bush, who was a very patriotic, very nice man, but did not have a clue what Reaganism was about, which is why, even though he won Reagan's third term in 1988, came from 19 points behind to beat Dukakis by asserting pure conservatism. Dukakis collapsed because the Bush campaign convinced the country that Dukakis was a radical liberal, and the country didn't want to go from Reagan to a radical liberal. And they actually switched from being 19 points down in May to winning 54-46, which meant they had switched every fourth American vote to George H.W. Bush from Dukakis in a five-month campaign. But Bush didn't understand his own victory. His greatest single moment had been at the convention saying that they're going to want me to raise taxes, and I'm going to say no. And they're going to come back and say they want me to raise taxes, and I'm going to say no. And finally, I'm going to say, read my lips, no new taxes, which had actually been written by a Reagan speechwriter. Well, he either didn't understand it, didn't really mean it, or thought of it all as just being sort of political language, as distinct from Reagan, who did mean it and did campaign on what he believed and stuck very firmly to what he believed. And in fact, at one point, when Jim Baker, the chief of staff, proposed a tax increase in a cabinet meeting, President Reagan took his glasses off, looked at Baker and said, Jim, if you really believe what you just said, why are you in this administration? 
And Baker was promptly turned to his top staff person and said, we'll never bring up a tax increase again. So he understood it. I think had the Democrats tried to blackmail Reagan the way they did blackmail George H.W. Bush in 1990, he would have said to him, fine, let's go to the country. Let's have a referendum. If the country votes for a tax increase, I'll sign it. But unless you can convince the country to vote for a tax increase, I'm not signing it. Bush didn't understand that. He didn't understand how central these symbols were to conservatism. And I was faced with a major decision in my career because I was the youngest member of the leadership. I had just become the Republican whip in 1989. And I'm in a room where every single member of the leadership signs on with Bush for a tax increase. And I said, you know, I think this isn't going to work. I think it breaks your word. I think it endangers your presidency. And I can't be for it. And so everybody else walked out into the Rose Garden to endorse the president's tax increase. I walked out of the West Wing to go back to the Capitol to fight him. I believe firmly that that decision to stand up for principle was the key to our winning in 1994 because it said to the American people, we were serious about changing government. We were prepared to take on the establishment, even in our own party, and we were going to fight for real change. And the energy that came from that, I think, made it possible for us to win. And that's a key part of what we covered in March to the Majority. How did we finally learn how to win? Now, I have to say that the years that we were working on this, we really worked to grow a big enough Republican Party. The House Republican Party just wasn't big enough. It was like a college football team playing in the Super Bowl. And so through GOPAC, we ended up with 55,000 tapes, audio tapes back then, a sign of how long ago this was, went out every month so that candidates across the country, activists, campaign managers, pollsters, all got new ideas, new solutions, all of them based, frankly, standing on Ronald Reagan's shoulders and Margaret Thatcher's shoulders. And the result was a cultural change in the Republican Party from a minority mindset of managing the decay to a majoritarian mindset of profoundly changing the direction of the country, being, in effect, a revolutionary party. And the result was that we were communicating pure Reaganism, and the party was changing. And by 1994, we had an absolute majority of the party committed to the kind of changes we wanted. Now, in that process, by the way, because we followed our first principle, which is listening to the American people, believing in government of the people, by the people, and for the people, the issues we put in the contract were so popular, all of them were 70% or better in terms of support by the American people, that we had Democrats vote for every single item. And when we passed welfare reform, half the Democrats voted with us because welfare reform was so popular with the American people that they couldn't go back home and vote against it. And again, entrenching your solutions in the values and beliefs of the American people is a key part of this. And then communicating them clearly despite the news media. Remember that when I first got elected, Time magazine had a cover that showed me, this was at Christmas, after the election in November, they had a cover that showed me a Scrooge holding Tiny Tim's broken crutch. It wasn't enough to steal his crutch, it was broken. And it was entitled, How Mean Will Gingrich's America Be to the Poor? Newsweek came up the following week and had me as a Dr. Zeus figure, and the cover was entitled, The Gingrich That Stole Christmas. But what the American people got out of that was I was for welfare reform. Well, guess what? The American people were for welfare reform. So that ability to communicate despite the media was a big key to how we got things done. 
Throughout history, there are clear moments that define our nation's path, and now you can own a piece of that history. I am thrilled to announce the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition, one-ounce silver coin commemorates the historic victory in 1994 when the Republican Party, under my leadership, took control of Congress. The Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin also symbolizes the transformative political platform that led to landmark achievements like the overhaul of the welfare system and the Balanced Budget Act. This holiday season, give the gift of history. The Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin is more than an investment. It's a tribute to honest government and to America. Available to order right now by calling 866-484-4043. That's 866-484-4043. Or order online at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. How could the most powerful man in media just vanish from public life? My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'm a reporter who's covered politics for years. And in this podcast, I'm going to travel far and wide searching for the reclusive Matt Drudge, the founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who've worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. I'll also be chasing down tips from you, the listener, through a special hotline. So if you know where Drudge is right now or have a great Drudge story that might help us better understand the mysterious media mogul, please give us a call at 301-200-2414. Hopefully by the time this show ends, the man who knows Drudge best, Matt Drudge himself, will break his silence and sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, I think it's also important to recognize that like Reagan, we actually implemented the values we campaigned on. We said we were for welfare reform, and we got it. We said we were for a big capital gains tax cut, and we got it. We said we are going to reform the House, and we did. Finally, we said we'd balance the federal budget. And for the only four times in your lifetime, we passed balanced budgets, which were popular because we listened to the American people. We talked with the American people. We figured out what they would and would not accept. We didn't try to pass things they opposed deeply, and we did try to pass things they thought made common sense. Unfortunately, After 1998, the GOP reverted to a sort of pre-Reagan norm and became a party dedicated to managing the welfare state it inherited from liberals. And that led to the rise of the Tea Party movement, the frustration of the Republican base, because Reagan and the 1994 House GOP were genuine revolutionaries seeking to profoundly repudiate the left and to restore American values, limited government, and the rule of law. Then, after an 18-year interim, Another revolutionary came along who was deeply committed to an anti-left agenda, and that was Donald Trump. And Trump assaulted the left, terrified them, 
Much of their hatred of him is based on his fearless repudiation of their values. And even more than Reagan, Trump in some ways is more like Thatcher and that he was prepared to just go head on at these people. Reagan was pleasant, had a great personality. He was a hard man to hate. Trump is aggressive in your face and was an easy man for the left to go crazy about. And yet, despite Trump's remarkable achievements, congressional Republicans lost control in 2018. The Senate GOP lost seats in both 2018, 2020, and 2022. Meanwhile, Kevin McCarthy, who had understood the Reagan revolution, who had understood and worked in the contract with America revolution. McCarthy was applying Reaganite principles, listening to the American people, developing solutions, communicating directly with the American people. He was deliberately reaching out and recruiting veterans, women, minorities. And the result was they won 14 seats in 2020 while the Senate was losing seats. They won nine seats in 2022 while the Senate was losing seats. McCarthy is now speaker and Because he's following the formula I just gave you, one, make sure you understand what the American people want and what they believe in, two, find solutions worthy of their effort, and three, make sure you communicate directly to them despite the hostility of the news media, 86% of his bills have had Democrats vote for them. He's in the process right now of holding a joint conference with the Democrats to study artificial intelligence. He is, in fact, deeply committed to finding a way to come together. And he now has a whole number of Democrats who agree with him that Biden should be negotiating on the debt ceiling, not just standing firm. And this is all a matter of starting with what the American people believe in. The American people overwhelmingly want a debt ceiling which begins to cut spending. And they oppose a debt ceiling which does not. The American people want parental rights and are opposed to people who aren't for parental rights. You go down a whole list of these things, as you know at the America's New Majority Project.com, which you can see at our website, America's New Majority Project.com. We list all sorts of issues on which the country is actually unified, where you can actually begin to understand a Lincoln kind of approach to popular sentiment. And you can understand what government of the people, by the people, and for the people would be like. And you can draw a sharp contrast with coercion by the elites for the elites to the American people. And I think this is going to become a major issue in 2024 between a left which wants to coerce us on transgender issues, coerce us on taxes, coerce us on anti-white racism, coerce us on keeping the border open and having millions of people flood into America, coerce us on releasing prisoners back into the population so that they can carjack, kill, rape. I mean, it's amazing what's happened in our biggest cities, all of them Democrat, as they keep putting criminals back on the street. In Washington, the police chief said the average murderer had committed 11 crimes before they finally killed somebody, and yet they were back on the street. So you have this divide coming that I think will be a real choice for the American people. The first four months of the Republicans under Speaker McCarthy's leadership has been amazing. But as we think about 2024 and beyond, what we need is more than temporary victories. America faces two huge historic challenges. First, Our institutions are just decaying. I mean, when you have a school system where 23 schools have zero students capable of doing math, and by the way, Chicago is similar, other cities are similar, this is not a Baltimore problem. This is an inner city, teachers union, left-wing ideas, craziness kind of approach. No discipline, no structure, no real ability, which means people who can't read and write are now teachers who can't read and write, so they can't teach reading and writing. 
I mean, the whole thing is a disaster. And we see these institutions decaying in the Pentagon. You see them decaying across the federal government. You see them decaying, for example, with our transportation system. And so this is a huge challenge of how do you take on large bureaucracies that are decaying. Second, we are deeply split on values. There is an aggressive 20 to 25% minority which wants to use power of the government to coerce the rest of us into a series of values none of us believe in. You know, here are the 60 gender terms you should memorize it if you're going to go to Stanford. Here is the argument that seven-year-olds can decide what their gender is. Here is the argument that if you're white, you're by definition somebody that is a racist, and therefore we all have to be opposed to you, by the way. Well, we are resegregating and having black-only events, but that's not considered racism. You go down this list of things, you realize that there's a huge values gap and there's a huge performance decay, and those two have to be met and have to be challenged. Now, to get these two fixed, the scale of change we need to get America unified and back on track to being the most exceptional nation in history really reforces us to learn how to operate in these three zones I've been describing. What is it the American people really want? How do we offer them solutions big enough that they feel they're getting what they want? And then how do we communicate with them despite the news media's hostility? This is not new. The founding fathers had to do it. Jefferson had to do it. Jackson did it. Lincoln did it. McKinley did it. FDR did it. And Reagan did it. And in some way, you could argue that both Lyndon Baines Johnson and Obama did it on the left. But in every case, it involves the same capability. What is it the American people want? How do you offer them solutions that they decide they want? And how do you make sure that they know about it despite the news media? I think it's very important to recognize that the contract Republicans almost broke through. If you go back and look at the things we worked with Clinton on, our ability to build a bipartisan majority, the number of things from welfare reform to tax cuts to FDA reform to Medicare reform to telecommunications reform to balancing the budget for four straight years, we were very close to breaking through. And then, frankly, the party fell back into sort of a traditional management style that didn't involve changing things and didn't involve listening to the American people. Trump almost broke through. The changes he got were enormous, but the total hostility of the system trying to destroy him was one of the most extraordinary events in American history. I don't know of any other president, except maybe Lincoln during the Civil War, who had the kind of beating that Trump has endured now for seven years. But the key to the changes is beyond personality. The key is to recognize, one, what do the American people want? And there I recommend you go and look at americasnewmajorityproject.com because we're finding example after example. Two, we have to offer solutions large enough. And by the way, I think the rise of school choice and the idea that money follows the student, not the institution, are huge changes that are going to profoundly change the whole process of education in America and make it much more competitive, much more capable, and students are going to learn much faster, and it's going to be much more traditional values and not sort of left-wing nutcake ideas. So there are a series of solutions like that. The Pentagon needs to be dramatically overhauled. Our medical system has to start, frankly, with transparency. If we just knew price and quality, we would get dramatically better care at a substantially lower cost. Finally, we have to constantly work, whether it's podcast or it is Facebook or it is speeches or it's on television, we have to communicate with the American people so they understand both what the left is trying to do, 
and that there is an alternative that will work. And we have to do all three because they synergistically reinforce each other. I think it's really, really important that we understand how desperate it is for America to get back to institutions that work, that have the values of the American people, that are supported by the American people, and to have political leaders who understand that their power comes from the people, not from the elites. Finally, you have to ask, what can you do? Well, you can do a lot. If you saw recently, the boycott of Bud Light was a significant historic event. It was just individual people saying, no, I'm not going to put up with it anymore. If you look at the efforts that are underway to develop new media, the approach of people who are developing pro-American history programs for children, you see a really dramatic improvement in the number of options that are available for learning. When you look at the reform efforts that are beginning to be underway to rethink the Defense Department, the intelligence community, to recognize that if we're going to compete with China, we just have to be more agile and move much more aggressively and faster. There are hopeful signs, and there are real conversations underway across the country. So I am an optimist. Like Reagan, I believe that the American people in the end are bigger than their problems. I think that they are bigger than those who would oppress them and coerce them. And I believe that in the end, we will in fact get back to the rule of law. We will in fact get back to listening to the American people, and we will develop solutions bigger than the challenges we're faced. And that's why I wanted to share these ideas with you. Thank you for listening, and I hope you found this useful. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcast and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ever thought about owning a piece of history? Introducing the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition silver coin celebrates the historic Republican victory in 1994, marking a turning point in American politics. Give a gift with real historical weight this season. Order now at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.